Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we again are desiring and longing for you to make your word come alive to us. We pray that you may help us to have insight through the Holy Spirit, to not uh, see this as a message that's just for people in general, but Lord, to see how this is a, uh, your word applies to our own hearts and shows us again a fresh understanding of who you are, how generous you are, and how dependent we are upon you. Surely you are our God, you are the true and living God, there is none like you. And so we pray that we might see Christ and that we might see clearly your mind and your concerns and that we might understand your will as is revealed in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take a break in our series on Nehemiah this Sunday, I've uh, felt led to consider um, a theme that I think is pretty seasonal, pretty uh, timely for us. And it, uh, I would like to begin with the thought about a book with a very thought-provoking title by Jerry Bridges. He wrote a book. It's a very good book, a very worthwhile book. I encourage you to read sometime. It's called this, Respectable Sins. Now, think about that for a second. Respectable sins. Somehow those two words don't seem to go together. Uh, if we really understand sin, if we understand God's perspective on sin, he goes on to explain that the whole thought behind the book and what motivated him to write it was that he began to notice that not only is our world beginning to question and sort of downplay and devalue the whole idea and concept of sin, he says it's actually now beginning to seep into the church and that there are many conservative uh, Christians who would feel rather uncomfortable talking about sins in general. And so we tend to focus our attention as conservative Christians on certain blatant uh, sins that we read about in the newspaper. And so we find ourselves, uh, uh, in a sense, highly objection, objection, objections. We, we raise our objections to these obviously gross sins, if you will. But he says we've tended to somehow have another category of sins that we've totally overlooked, that we no longer even sort of talk about them or even acknowledge them or repent from them. And so he went on in his book to talk about some of the sins that we as Christians tolerate, that we have somehow made them quote-unquote respectable sins. And in listing of his table of contents in the book, he tackles topics like ungodliness, anxiety and frustration, discontentment, pride, selfishness, and impatience, judgmentalism, envy, and jealousy. And then the one I want to focus on this morning, and that is unthankfulness. Unthankfulness. Why in the world is ingratitude listen, uh, listed as a sin? How does God view ungrateful hearts? And could it be that for many of us, ingratitude somehow is going underneath the radar. It is undetected as an issue in our lives. And I'm wondering if that is something that we all too often tolerate and ignore and never really address. And so my goal this morning is to examine the sin of unthankfulness and to answer the following questions. The first question I want to answer in our thoughts this morning are, why is ingratitude a serious offense to God. 
So we're going to sort of take God's perspective on that. Secondly is what are some reasons in gratitude tends to grow in our hearts? And thirdly, how does the gospel help us with our ungrateful hearts? So the first question that we want to try to explore and answer to this morning is, why is ingratitude a serious offense to God? Well, there are many ways to answer it, but I'd like to encourage you by opening up your Bible to Romans chapter 1, page 1339 in your pew Bible. And we notice here in this text a very interesting uh, foundation that Paul begins to lay when he's answering the question, what is the gospel? He begins with this whole issue about sin, and he sets forth a premise. He says essentially in this text, beginning in verse um, 18 and following, Paul begins to uh, say in verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within all of the people who are involved in various forms of ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, verse 18, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile, in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Paul says here that God made known to everyone, no matter what their background, no matter their language, no matter their culture, no matter what century they lived in, he made known that he, as a powerful God, exists. And if you look at verse 20, it makes it clear that the evidence of God's existence is not hidden away. It is not obscure. It is not just limited for a few select people. Everyone can make sense of the evidence that God has provided. The Bible says that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And therefore, Paul says, since that is true, and that is a, a given, the problem then flows that our heart response to the clear evidence that God exists is where we get into trouble. Instead of honoring God and celebrating his existence, celebrating his character as God, as the one who is supreme over all, we, and meaning the whole human race, we have chosen to worship creation instead of the creator. Verse 25. And one fundamental way that we dishonor God is by refusing to give God the thanks as the source, as the creator of everything. I'm sure many of you know that there is a widely held view among the majority of people in today's world, I would, I would guess, that these evolutionists, those who follow in the assumptions of the evolutionary theory and the naturalists who dismiss God and his existence, they deny any, any kind of a thought of a creator. They assume that everything in the universe came into existence by chance by random mutations, taking whatever fundamentals of building blocks and through a variety of uh, random events, they are suppressing the truth about God by attempting to somehow explain human life apart from one who imparts life, God himself. 
And so humans then become nothing more than merely higher forms of evolved life. We become people who are devoid of meaning and devoid of purpose. But Christianity insists that there is an abundance of clear and compelling evidence that God exists and that in our notes here, you'll notice that he is our creator. The Bible teaches that this personal, powerful creator fashioned every single one of us. Psalm 139 says those wonderful truths that we were woven together by God in our mother's womb. And God In addition to that, Psalm 8 has crowned us with glory and honor, with dignity. We have the privilege of being his image bearers in that we are people who think and who can reason and who have abilities to relate, to have opportunities to express ourselves in a number of amazing ways. Think about it, musically, artistically, verbally. We are people who have a conscience. We have emotions. And so did life randomly emerge from non-living elements in some sort of primordial soup? And somehow from that come a complex, amazing human being like you and me, one of a kind, every single one of us? It's quite quite a leap to believe all that. But that is the ongoing mindset of many people who suppress the truth. They're holding it down. Nonetheless, the truth remains that God is the source of all living creatures. And one of the reasons, of course, that ingratitude offends God is because it robs God of the honor that is rightfully His for being a powerful Creator who has brought all things into existence, including all life. And therefore, humble thankfulness is the proper response to everyone who has been created in the image of their Creator. So I don't know if you want to take time to think about that, but I think it's wonderful to take time to think we are all individual, one of a kind, no no duplicates of you that exist in this world. If you think about the complexity of DNA and all the information that's contained in the DNA strand, you've got to say to yourself, there is a creator, there is a designer behind all these things. He is worthy of praise and honor and thanks. Not only is God the creator, but, and it's appropriate to thank him, but secondly, God is to be properly honored when his creatures gratefully acknowledge that he is also our sustainer. He not only creates and brings things into being, but he also sustains us. According to Acts chapter 17, we read there that God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every breath that we take, every moment that we live is a gift from God. We are dependent creatures who are sustained every day and every moment by God. How long would we survive if it were all up to you? How long would you survive without sunshine and rain? You see, none of us is self-sustaining. We are totally dependent. We are We are creatures who are frail. We are relying upon that which God supplies to us to help us to continue on. We're upheld and kept by God every moment of every day. It's easy to lose sight of that. And sometimes some of us are embarrassed to admit our age or we sometimes downplay our age. It doesn't get to be a a fire 
danger when you light as many candles on a, on a cake as it would require for my birthday, I realize. Uh, there's the famous uh, painting years ago uh, where the woman is standing behind the elderly man at the table and a big, huge cake with lots of candles, all kinds of uh, flames uh, flowing here, and, and she's got a fire extinguisher behind her just in case things get out of control here. But rather than measuring our lives in years, let me encourage you to take this step, not right this moment. Some of you are going to be tempted to do that. I know it. But here's what I'd like to suggest you do later today. Total up for your own benefit the thought and reflection on how much God has sustained you. How many days have you been alive in this earth? Now, I'll just tell you what my numbers are, just so you know how old I'm getting. 57 plus some months in addition to because I was born in June. So it comes up to approximately, I didn't do leap year and all that stuff, but approximately 20,894 days. Wow, that's getting old is the first thing I notice. But the second thing is, that's a lot of days. That's a lot of daily mercies from God that he has shown to me. It has increased my sense and awareness of how dependent I am and have been for all those days God is certainly worthy of being thanked thirdly that God also is to be honored and thanked because he is a benevolent provider or if you will he is a generous giver of gifts Nick has already sort of begun to help us think that through at the beginning of our service today we didn't coordinate that but uh, every day, if you think about it, there's a long list of temporal blessings that we enjoy, that we are able to take a part of. And I wonder when was the last time that you took a moment just to think about just the basic necessities of life that you enjoy, including such simple things like abundant drinking water that's available to you and to me, access to medicine, housing, Warmth when it's frigid cold outside as this past week at night. Clothing. Food that is nutritious and actually beneficial for us. What about the other items that we tend to rely on as if they are basic necessities? And to some of us, they have become basic necessities, quote unquote. Things like phones and transportation. Imagine if you couldn't get anywhere and you no longer had available, like the, uh, when we had uh, Superstorm Sandy. It's such an interesting phenomenon is when we have no gasoline. So everybody's in a panic because it's like we can't move about. We don't have our car. We don't have a, a means to get from point A to point B. I know that uh, indeed when you think about these kind of things, it reminds us as we packed these boxes this last week or the week before for Operation Christmas Child, Think about what you're putting in those boxes means that you are so blessed you can fill somebody's boxes to give them many essentials and other nice things to enjoy out of the overflow of what you just have so many basic needs met. You don't even worry about those things. Think about the recipients of the people who take those boxes in the weeks and months ahead. I know that when I became a father years ago, with small children, I learned to appreciate in a new and fresh way the endless ways in which my parents helped me and provided for me when I was a helpless and a 
clueless small infant and toddler. I realized that they gave to me and they gave to me and they gave to me. And as I've now realized the, the depth and the breadth to which they bestowed upon me such wonderful gifts daily, it has increased my sense of awareness of how much I dearly love and appreciate and have gratitude toward my mother and my father. I would suggest the same would be true with us as it relates to God. If you think of God as your father, think about God and his the, becoming aware of the abundance of his generous gifts and praying that God would increase our awareness of how he views and how he treats us in an overflow of abundance of his heart, uh, of, his, of his loving, tender care for us. The hymn writer wrote these words. He describes God as the bounteous God. That's a good phrase, bounteous God. Who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love. You say, well, I've had a rough year or it's been a tough time or I've lost my job or I'm in a very big crisis in life. May I suggest you just reviewing what happened to those at Plymouth Plantation? Talk about a rough year. And in the midst of all that, they still had a great appreciation for God and his tender mercies to them and his gifts that they received from his hands. Of course, lastly, as we think about reasons why it's appropriate to honor God and thank him is that we know that God is worthy of grateful praise because he is gracious and he is merciful. He is a God who is slow to anger, long-suffering. He is full of compassion and he is forgiving. Forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression, forgiving sin. And the gospel announces to us that God the Father treated Jesus Christ as he did not deserve to be treated, so that God could justly treat us as we do not deserve to be treated. It is God who graciously provided his own son to bear the condemnation on the cross that I rightfully should have received. And when I repented of my sin and when I placed my and transferred my trust to Jesus Christ and him alone, then I received, and all others who similarly repent and trust Christ alone, they receive the righteousness of Christ on our account instead. He receives my sin, I receive his righteousness. Every sinner who relates to God on the basis of grace in the gospel I can't help but would imagine that we would express the kind of words that Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Indeed, one of my favorite songs comes from, I don't know what year it was written. I guess it's probably the 70s. I don't know. It's getting old now. But uh, Andre Crouch in writing his response as he thinks about what God has done for him in his redemption and salvation, he says, How can I say thanks for the things that you have done for me, things so undeserved, yet you give to prove your love to me? The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am, all that I ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. 
To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood he has saved me, with his power he has raised me. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Indeed, I think that the more we have an awareness of what we deserve and yet what we've received in Christ, all the more do our hearts become attuned to the fact that, God, we are so grateful. It does indeed help us to see more clearly the greatness of our God as we review the gospel. Romans 11 reminds us that everything is from God, everything is through God, and everything is really to Him. He's the source of all things. He's the sustainer of everything. He is the giver of so many good gifts, the gracious provider of salvation to all who trust in him and fully rely on Jesus Christ. One of the best ways to honor Christ is to continually offer to him our humble thanks, our heartfelt thanks, our sincere and earnest thanks. Instead of complaining about what we do not have, how beneficial it is to take time to reflect on what you now have and what you have received and what you currently are enjoying through Christ and because of Christ and in Christ. I would urge us to take some time this week, carve out some quiet moments. Maybe it means getting up earlier in the morning and take some time to think and review how much of you have been helped by God. Even though you did nothing to deserve his help, Take time to reflect upon God's sovereign creation, God fashioning you, making you into the unique, one-of-a-kind person that you are and sustaining you to the point of where you are today. His generous assistance to you, His amazing grace that He has bestowed upon you through Jesus Christ. Take time, reflect on that, lift your hearts and open them to God and review once again, He is worthy of honor, He is worthy to be thanked. Well, that was the first question. The second question I want us to consider this morning is what are some reasons why ingratitude tends to grow in our hearts? And I'm, this is certainly true in my life, and I would imagine in yours as well. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we find it easy to slip into the sin of ingratitude toward God is because we tend to enjoy every day so many blessings. And that the enjoyment of those blessings is not just a rare occurrence in any one particular day, but it tends to affect us and, and be something that we enjoy for long periods of time. So it becomes a pattern of life to enjoy a tremendously long list of blessings daily. A simpler life, I would argue, can help us awaken in our hearts a new appreciation for the kind of enjoyment of the abundance that is ours on a regular basis. Think about a time when you were deprived of the normal standard of living that you now enjoy. So for me, my mind went right back to, as I said earlier, the Superstorm Sandy, right? How many of you remember where you were, what was happening, Superstorm Sandy, right? Just not too, not too long ago. Okay. Well, for our experience, my wife and I, we were without electrical power. Thankfully, we are, everything was safe in terms of where we're living, but there's no power, uh, not just for two days or three, but it was 10 days, no electricity. A very small problem compared to many other people, I understand. But that was our experience. So we have no heat, no hot water, no refrigeration, no lights at night, and all those kind of things. 
Now, what I remember clearly, though, is when the power came back on. Wow, what an appreciation for a simple light bulb that would stay on at night. No more flashlights. We had heat in the house. There was hot water to wash your face with. You didn't have to heat it up on the grill, you know, with the propane tanks and all that stuff. It, it was amazing how little things became such great blessings. Because why? We have electricity, what, seven days a week normally, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We pretty much have power on almost all the time. And so what I've learned here is, again, familiarity with blessings can lead to an inability on our part to perceive the wonders of the blessings that are now ours. And so that's why, again, one of the primary symptoms of people like us who live with such comfortable lifestyle is that we become people who are, if we're not careful, we become discontent rather easily because we have it so good for so long. And so I would say letter A under that second question is abundant blessings raise our level of expectations. We're so used to having this that we think, well, I really ought to be having this. And so we oftentimes see ourselves as I'm still missing out on something that would be better in life. And that sort of leads me to my next point. When Walter read our scripture reading there from Deuteronomy chapter 8, we heard Moses giving a warning saying, okay, I know you're now at a point where we've ended a long journey, a long wandering in the wilderness. We got, now we're headed into a new section, a new chapter of life. There's been a lot of hardships, a lot of, of uh, walking in a desert, around and around and around we went. There's been a lot of hardships and things we've had to go without. You've been a, a, a pilgrim in a sense, a person on the march. He says, but there's a danger that you're going to face ahead when you stop wandering around, you get settled and you can actually find yourself becoming rather comfortable. He says, the danger is that pride is going to well up in your hearts when you become comfortable and well off. Again, from Deuteronomy 8, when you've eaten and are satisfied, when your silver and your gold multiply, all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land or house of slavery and the danger is that we will be tempted to think. And he says, now you're going to, the real danger is what you're going to think in your own assumptions in your mind. My power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. He says, the danger is we are becoming self-reliant. We become less aware of God's assistance and how we're dependent upon God for everything. I would imagine another heart struggle that we're likely to fall into when we continually enjoy a comfortable lifestyle in a materialistic culture is the corrosive effect of worldly thinking. Worldliness. What do you mean by that? Well, every day we are bombarded by explicit and implied messages in advertising. They are all over the place. And these advertisements are designed to, in, in, to insist and to convince us and to persuade us that we deserve much better than what we currently have. That's what the real theme is. And, and therefore we are told again and again that we are entitled to better cars, bigger houses, more stylish clothes, more adventurous vacations, more 
uh, uh, sophisticated technology or faster technology, and on and on and on and on it goes. We are entitled to those things because you deserve it. And therefore, we're endlessly told that we must have more in order to truly live. And I would suggest to you that is a worldly mindset of materialism. And after a steady diet of that, of advertisements that are give, coming to us, and after we look at Hollywood entertainment long enough, we realize that we are not enjoying the best of everything. That becomes the conclusion you reach after you've sort of had a steady diet of all this for a long period of time. And you start to exhibit the symptoms of what has been called affluenza. <laughs> affluenza, which has sort of the unfulfilled feeling inside, a subjective kind of thing, that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. You feel as though like, oh, my life is just messed up. It's no good. Look what they got. And I would argue that, spiritually speaking, we can become prone to resenting the fact that God is somehow holding back on us. And we remember that, of course, one of Satan's tactics in the Garden of Eden, he doesn't have new tactics, by the way. Same thing he does over and over again. He uses the same little schemes and tricks. He planted seeds of doubt about God's goodness to Eve. He implied, as he began to sort of make statements to her, he implied that, you know, God is withholding from you this one tree. Come on. What do you mean he's saying you can't have this tree? You deserve to have this tree. He doesn't want you to become like him. The implication is what? You're entitled to this. What do you think? He's going to sort of hold that back and not let you become like him, knowing good and evil? It is a very seductive, it is a very dangerous form of worldly thinking that begins to cause us to question God, somehow begin to think and assume that God is not really giving us what we deserve. How do we resist being squeezed into the mold of the world? I would suggest to you, again, filling our minds with Scripture has got to be one of the key things. And uh, Paul said in his, his statement regarding the tendency of people to become materialists, in 1 Timothy 6 is this. Here's a mindset that will help us. Reset it back to zero. Okay, what is zero? What does it mean to really learn to be content? Okay, let's start with this. Paul says, we have brought nothing in the world. Right? Did you ever see a baby? Uh, first early hours of a baby holding something in their hand that they brought out of the womb with them? You know? Some sort of necklace or nice ring on the finger? Or no, they come with nothing and a strange belly button to boot. All right, they come out. And they have nothing in the world, we brought nothing in the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Whoa. So all the things I'm accumulating are not going to be going anywhere beyond just leaving it behind. Okay, so if we have food and we have clothing, with these, Paul says, we shall be what? Content. Content. Wow, that's the start it back to zero. Contentment starts if God has been blessed, has blessed me enough to have food and clothes. Wow, that's where contentment needs to start. That's shocking for us. If we realign our expectations downward toward a simpler, more contented life, centered around the essentials of life, centered around the basics that we need to survive, 
we would be a lot less likely to struggle with ingratitude toward God. If you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, guess what? It's very likely your heart is caught up in a lot of ingratitude toward God. A simpler lifestyle is a very challenging approach in today's world. You say, oh, I've adopted a simpler lifestyle because I can't afford anything else. Well, that's a blessing from God in many ways. It can be because it makes you learn to appreciate simple things. Think about it. My parents' generation, the World War II generation, went through what? 1930s? The Depression. 1929, 1930, 31. They learned to do without. And those people of all people learned to what? They learned to appreciate little things. Went through my grandfather's attic, and what'd they have? Boxes of string. Then there was another box, longer string, and then another box, smaller, shorter string. I mean, they saved everything and learned to appreciate little things and learned to what? Be probably satisfied with a lot less than what it takes to satisfy us. So sometimes a simpler lifestyle can be quite helpful. That's why, again, occasional fasting, learning to appreciate food again, uh, learning to do without and say, you know, I really don't need that. I'm going to wear this till it actually wears out. Or, you know, learning to do with less. It's just amazing how it can help our hearts fight that battle against the worldly kind of thinking in our view of God. Okay, lastly, let's talk a little bit about the gospel. Number three, how does the gospel help us with ungrateful hearts? First of all, I want to just say that the gospel is good news to ungrateful sinners like you and me. <laughs> it's good news. Because we begin by saying the gospel brings us down, humbles us, and helps us to see ourselves as we really are, that we really are ungrateful people, that we tend to rely on God less and less and relying on ourselves. And therefore, the gospel reveals our ungrateful hearts and what's really at the core of that, and that is the pride that often is there, self-centeredness. And we see the fruit of that pride coming out in this obvious ingratitude toward God. We take things for granted. We worship ourselves. And so gratitude grows in the soil of wonder and amazement at God's grace. And because our hearts are prone to pride, we desperately need the gospel to help us get focused on Christ. To look at Christ, to become aware of how Christ has taken our sin and he is born for what we deserve, given us what we don't deserve. He's lifted us up. He's adopted us as his children by faith. And he has therefore placed his love upon us in ways that are just mind-boggling. And that's why I think, again, the passage on the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, I encourage you to make your way there. Ephesians 5, these are my final thoughts here about how much we need the Holy Spirit pointing us to Christ. Holy Spirit pointing us to the word of hope and encouragement in the scriptures. The word of Christ, the Holy Spirit helping us in our own struggles in our hearts and minds. And listen to what he says here. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 17. If we're ever going to have a heart of thankfulness, it has to start right here. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, what is God's will? Well, stop getting drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But keep on being filled with the Spirit. And then verse 20, among other things, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to think in new ways. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to react differently to difficult circumstances. So Paul says, 
instead of reacting to difficult circumstances by somehow trying to dull and escape the misery and the disappointments and the problems and the, and the frustrations of living in a fallen world by drinking yourself till you're totally out of it and being under the control of alcohol, which leads to excess, he says, rather, you are to continually submit to yourself to being under the control of the Holy Spirit, which I would argue means that you're letting the scriptures control your thoughts and your, your attitudes and your responses to the difficulties and challenges you face in everyday life. It is the Holy Spirit's power, and He is alone able to produce in us a grateful heart in the midst of disappointments, in the midst of delays, in the midst of disasters that obviously are going to unfold in any given day. It is the Holy Spirit who will point us to Christ. He will remind us, listen, you're not on your own in this situation. You're a child of God. And that you, the status you enjoy is yours because of faith. And you've been joined to Christ. You are not impoverished. You are rich in Christ. You have so many blessings that are yours to enjoy. How can you say that you are with nothing or you don't have anything to find yourself satisfied in your heart today? The Holy Spirit will illumine us to scriptures that will help us as believers to enable us to find encouragement. And that's what I think we're longing for. Understanding about how God works in His ways. For example, in Romans 8, we learn that God intends all of our circumstances. Romans 8, 28, 29. All of our circumstances, both good and bad, to be instruments of sanctification in the hands of God. That He is going to make us grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. If you get that understanding of how God is operating in your life, guess what? You're going to be a lot more filled with gratitude and thankfulness because you can say, oh goodness, I got stuck in traffic here and I can't go where I need to go and I'm left here. God is using that circumstance to make you more like Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can help you draw that conclusion. <laughs> that is not something you're naturally going to figure out yourself especially if somebody's honking at you from behind or they cut in front of you real quickly and you're trying to go somewhere. But that is what the Holy Spirit does. He's teaching us to understand God's perspective on the situation you face. Second thing I'll add here in the same passage of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, he talks about nothing separates from the love of Christ. It is God who promises here in this passage that every believer, even in the midst of difficulties and trials and hardships and struggles and disappointments and sufferings, and you can add whatever you want in that list, we are in those situations still enveloped in the love of Christ. He has not turned away from you. He has not abandoned you. He has not kicked you to the curb and said, this is what you deserve. You're on your own. God does not deal with us that way in the gospel. The scriptures will help us see with gospel vision. We'll be able to see things when they don't turn out the way we had hoped. We all have plans and expectations, things we hope are going to work out the way we hope they're going to work out. Nonetheless, God is in control. He's working all things together so that it serves His purpose to make us more like Christ. And for this reason, therefore, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can always give thanks. Not sometimes, not occasionally, not once a year when there's a turkey placed in front of you and all the gathering of the clan, nobody's talking to each other because everybody has a hard time dealing with each other. But we get together for that one day a year. But no, always giving thanks to God 
for all things, all things, even the difficulties, even the trials, even the sufferings, even the losses that I've had to go through, even those can be reasons why I can be thankful. Why? Because I know that God is working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And what is that good? Not to make me comfortable, not to make me so that I'm better off than the Joneses, because I'm more like Christ, who is committed to making me into His image and someday glorifying me in glory. Let's trust Him and let's thank Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again humble ourselves before You. We all confess that we are in need of the gospel because our hearts so oftentimes are not thankful to You, Lord. We oftentimes are murmuring and grumbling or rather discontented, looking around us at what we don't have, longing for more. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we would see and understand, appreciate all the more the love of Christ. Oh, the depth, the breadth, the width, and the height of Christ's love. That we would find our hearts satisfied in, in you. That you would begin to teach us, Lord, the kind of wealth that we can find in Christ. How we are impoverished apart from Christ, no matter how many of these the things of this world will never deeply satisfy us because we're going to leave them all behind. But Lord, we thank you for the riches that we can have in Christ, storing up treasures in heaven. Thank you that Christ himself is a treasure. Lord, I pray that you would work in any heart who's here today, Lord, if they become convicted or sense that their own heart is not where it needs to be. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help them to repent Help us, Lord, to fully trust Christ anew and afresh, that we would surrender to the Holy Spirit, surrendering to you, Lord, offering ourselves to say, Lord Jesus, do with us as you will in all the circumstances of life so that we can continually become more aware of how much we, it makes sense to honor you and to thank you, Lord, as we become more aware of your dealings with us. How amazing are your ways, Lord. We ask that you would work in our midst and in our hearts and that we would learn to honor you now and through eternity. We pray through Christ's name. Amen.